Welcome back to the Two Track Mind podcast feed. I'm Liam Toms. With me, as always, is... Edward Crawley. And today, we are talking about a recent article that came out um, with some quotes from the CEO of Spotify, who said some controversial things. Uh, And it's kind of spurred us on to have a, a chat about... Kind of what he said and uh, and why there might have been a negative reaction. Uh, but before we do that, we'd just like to remind you uh, where you can find us online and all those sort of things. Because we've got other stuff going on at the moment. Uh, we've got a new playlist on Spotify that you can listen to if you search Ed and Liam's Infinite Playlist. All of the links will always be in the show notes. Uh, you can find us at 2 Trap Mind Pod. Um, you are at Run With Ed. Run With Ed, yeah, on and, Instagram and Twitter. Yeah. Uh, I'm at Liam Toms across all the socials. Uh, and what else is there to tell people? Oh, of course, the Brain Trust. So we, we've started doing some bonus episodes as well. So if you like what you hear, go and join the Brain Trust either at twotrackmind.uk, which is our mailing list, yep. or on Facebook. Uh, you just search Two Track Mind and you'll find the group there. And uh, we've, we've released two bonus episodes, uh, but also we'd love your show ideas. So that's probably the best place to get in touch a lot of you get in touch on Instagram, which is great, and we always reply to them. But if you wanted to start a discussion, you know, the Brain Trust is probably the best place to give us ideas, say what you liked, say what you didn't like. We're always open to criticism. Um, but yeah, get involved, get in touch, and obviously like and subscribe. And Acast have just... Yeah, you can rate the You podcast. can rate on Acast now, so that's cool. Um, so if you listen to us on Acast, other platforms are available that's my preferred it's your preferred isn't it mm-hmm. and we are not affiliated um or being paid to say that that just after no. years of checking out different ones that's along the way that's the one too. yeah uh, but yeah apple acast wherever you get it like and subscribe awesome okay so right let's give some context to this then so it's not often that we do a whole hour on <laughs> one line that someone said, but I think there's a lot to this, uh, and and we'll see how long we we run with well, this. When you sent me your your sort of a rough guide for the episode, uh, yes, we do rough guides. Um, I was amazed at how much how many bullet points you put in, and I thought, yeah, relevant, 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 relevant. They're all of them, it's like it's it totally spans. I think it's because what he said it touched a nerve, and the reason it touched a nerve is because it's very um, it's very telling of of where the music industry is at. And this is something I thought about earlier on. We in the in the sort of twenty years that we've been sort of really into music and, and following the industry, yeah. it's been obviously quite a turbulent time. The beginning the beginning of it was uh, sort of piracy through Napster and and MP3s and that sort of thing. Then we saw the death of the CD. Yeah. Uh, then obviously the advent of streaming um, as a, a legal way of accessing music for free via the internet. Um, and then all the way through to now where touring, which was obviously a key revenue for for bands, has been taken away for at least you know what seems like a year. Um, so, so these bands are, are currently they're, for some their only form of income is say merch that they might have been able to get out and get get out there but that's an issue because how you know the merch companies unless they've got someone who's say a much smaller merch distributor you know they're probably not at work because of distancing and not being allowed to work so merch is off the card so the, yeah, that's the a main good point, income actually. is that's a good point it's something that we pre-ordered I don't know whether you saw we had an email earlier on um, for oh, a yeah. vinyl release that's been delayed um, oh, no. so there you go the, the, you know that's not just um, so so streaming is really and the biggest income that they can they can 
harvest this year yeah yeah um, for sure which is why probably in the sort of pressure cooker of this year what he said was um the, re- the reaction was so strong but looking back over like you know the 60s 70s 80s even into the 90s like the industry for me didn't music didn't change all that much really like the album format existed yeah. uh the idea of an album cycle and tours like it was kind of all sort of part and parcel yeah uh it's only been really like the last 20 years where all that's been disrupted and i think really the industry is still trying to find its way in terms of how do artists survive and make money now th- well, maybe- the, the money just isn't there anymore <laughs> well let's have a look at i mean i've got the uh, have you got a few quotes i've got the breakdown of the actual uh, the streaming revenue and what it works out to be can but, i but- just give a quick context with some f- financial things sorry to interrupt so just quickly spotify on the market is worth around 21 billion us dollars uh, it currently has 180 million users, 87 million of which are paying subscribers. So they don't get ads to whatever doesn't break down if they're fully fledged premium or is I think there's only they've limited it now. There's only one real category. And then there's offsets, as we were just discussing before this, where you can have you can play on an iPad, an iPhone. But other than that, I think it's pretty much just 10 pounds a month, isn't it? Roughly along those lines. Yeah. Yeah, if you're if you're not part of a deal or a syndicate or whatever you want to call it. So the CEO, Daniel Ek, his apparent, and I must say apparent because I don't know, net worth is roughly four billion. Right. Well wow. <laughs> um and he's thirty-seven years old. Mm-hmm. Just as a context. He's uh, an entrepreneur, he co founded it. Um I think he's from Europe somewhere. Um the country I, I mistakes no, me now, but, exactly. Um, it begins with oh, anyway, but yeah, he's worth apparently four billion. Well, wow. uh, I guess that's in assets. I don't know if that's cash rich. If it's cash rich, well done. <laughs> <laughs> so this is this is what he came out and said then. Uh, so he said. Uh, Talking about artists, he says, uh, you can't record music once every three to four years and think that that's going to be enough. Uh, The artists today that are making it realise that it's about creating a continuous engagement with their fans. It's about putting the work in and about the storytelling around the album and keeping a continuous dialogue with your fans. Now, obviously, the the negative reaction to that is from artists that are fully aware of, of the guy's worth and, yep. and the worth of the whole the company. Uh, and, and maybe they just thought it was a bit rich coming from somebody who's not even an artist yeah. uh, to, to be sort of dictating how they ought to release music. Now, when you first read this, because this was something that we were going to talk about on open mics, but we realised that obviously there was a lot to discuss and we spun it out into this conversation today. Yeah. What was your initial reaction to hearing this? Um either positive, negative, or neutral? Uh, so, somewhat probably um, unpopularly, um, that's not a word, I, was, I, I don't side with him, but I do, some of what he says, I think makes a lot of sense, the constant um, engaging with fans, and possibly the idea of drip-feeding EPs and singles I think is a good idea personally I, I'm not saying I expect an album from my favourite bands every three to uh, every one year or um, you know there's a lot of artists who I think have overproduced music mm-hmm. and you know I'm not going to name any names because that's not what the show's about but you know probably who I'm talking about but and I think it's it, some of what's been overdone and I find that they end up repeating themselves so I don't want a, an album a year but 
you know, I, I can't believe they're being mentioned this um, <laughs> soon into an episode. But one of the bands who is on our radar that have released three tracks over the period, isolation songs, is Les and Jake. And I like what they've done. They've just released three tracks, but they don't do an album cycle every year. And I don't expect one in the same way that I, I, I don't know how viable it is, you know, to be able to do that. But. Biffy Clyro seemed to have churned out a lot of albums. And I, I went back through their Spotify because they did a soundtrack recently for a, an album. They did the whole soundtrack and they've just released a new album. And I realised there's like three Biffy Clyro albums I didn't know existed. <laughs> and they are literally within a year of each other. And wow. I think well, that's probably why they, they, they didn't give it enough time to build up to promote the... it, do the tour. And it's just... I sooner like the idea that and the reason I mentioned this and Jake was because when when they did when they were say at their biggest, uh, when they did Anthem, um, they did a BS for B sides album shortly after, and it was like that worked really well. They didn't do it as an album; it was sort of not drip fed, but it was just put there. I think it was about a year later that it yeah, came out. Yeah, but it came out, but it was something they did during the album process and they kept hold of the songs. Now, rather than bill it as a new album, and they could have done because they typically back then were touring the UK every year uh, because they get such a good response over here. They famously say that they're probably more popular over here than they are anywhere else. You know, mm-hmm. they get a great response and they have done since the early 2000s, before that. But... You know, the Biffy Clyro albums, churning out that many albums, I just, I didn't know they they existed. I literally mm. was like, what's this album? What's this album? And although maybe three to four years in today's climate is a long time, I don't think you can do much more, you know, in between that, if you're going to produce an album that you really are proud of. Now, maybe other artists would say, actually, I'm producing enough quality songs to do an album a year and that's their prerogative at the end of the day who am i to to say whether i think they're right or not that's up to them well that's interesting what you said about the biffy thing because that kind of um the the idea of it being like a continuous conversation i I think almost what you're suggesting there is is that that by it being so continuous there wasn't that gap for you to notice that they'd gone so then you notice when they'd come back exactly that yeah, which I guess is perhaps somewhere in the kind of um, the, the the thought process of the old album cycle. And, yeah. and, and I, I think uh, I've, I remember seeing Foo Fighters talking about this before, where I think they Dave might have said, we need to go away for a bit now so that you miss us and you want us back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and that would have been after they'd done a big album cycle, which for them would have been more like five years than, than three years, because they would do the album, they'd probably have a string of singles, and then they'd tour the, the world a few times over on that album and then disappear. And then it makes more impact when they come back. But this is saying that that's not the way it works anymore and that actually you ought to be keeping it continuous. So I, he, didn't, he didn't direct it at anyone? So his quote probably stands for new artists because what Foo Fighters have is the luxury of to be being able the, to go away and come back. The yeah. Foo Fighters because they could disappear for ten years and they would probably come back bigger because yeah. people would be so excited. It's like to the see old uh, story about like Coca Cola. If 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 everything that Coca Cola company owned burnt down overnight, they would still be able to trade tomorrow because of how strong the brand is. Yeah, exactly that. The, yeah. Um, whereas say for someone, um, say for a new artist getting radio play, if they aren't churning out five out singles off an album now, suddenly 
you know, they're, they're forgettable. Yeah. You know, for an instance, for a track I bought to open mic, some um, Pofu, you know, I've, I've heard, I heard that one single. I've heard that single again a couple of times. I've not heard another single. And lo and behold, I still only know that one single. Yeah. Now, I've made an, a conscious effort to go and listen to another one just to see if I like that as much as I did the first single I heard. But if you're not that way inclined, you know, he's gone. He's off the radar yeah. unless he keeps churning out stuff which could possibly get picked up by radio. Yeah. Um, so it's interesting. Three to four years is a long time. We've just done six months in like lockdown. I think people have realised how long six months actually is six months is so imagine three to four months without um uh, three to four years without an album you know millen colin had seven years between um homebrew and uh was it kingswood but seven but again a band like millen colin have got the legacy of having been on tony Hawk's soundtrack one and having songs like No Cigar and a bit of a punk rock status that has allowed them the time to be able to go away, and do what they want. probably tour three times in those seven years, but come back when they've got an album's worth of material. So I do think it's really difficult for new artists. So maybe he's more... I wonder if he was directing it at... Not at people like Miley Cyrus and Mariah Carey and Kanye West and Jay-Z. And mm-hmm. he, I don't think that quote really applies to them. They could go away and come back and still have a following. Whereas new artists probably do need yeah, to churn out a lot of content. Traction. And that, unfortunately, that's not that's not how they designed it for themselves, but that's the way it's all gone. Yeah. I mean, the re- part of the reason we gave some context up top of the episode was to to kind of, you know, set the scene for for the environment in which these comments are being heard and obviously reacted to um so I, I do think obviously it's been a tough year for artists they are looking that you know streaming revenue is their only income at the moment uh and and that they are in some ways beholden to spotify yeah. so for them uh, for this guy at spotify to tell them how they ought to be creating i can understand why that's that's taken in, in a certain way yeah but i i'm kind of with you where i don't think that it necessarily was intended that way. I, I think what he's making is, is more comments on the state of play more so than what he's demanding for his platform, you yeah, know, yeah, and, yeah. And, and, and kind of dictating things. But the other thing as well that I think perhaps needs to be taken into, uh, into interviewer here is that artists have always been beholden to a format and how it works like something that i never really appreciated until i started getting into the the vinyl production process is that on a vinyl record you can only fit so many songs yeah. right so you can fit about five to six songs and and actually it's more like five i mean you can stretch it to six on one side yeah so depending so, on the length of the track yeah so then an album becomes 10 tracks so that's literally why albums were 10 tracks yeah that, that set that as a look this is this is how many tracks you've got to do you can fit half an hour on each side for yeah. it, so, you know that is it <laughs> yeah i think it's it's probably more it's like 15 20 minutes and i think it's oh, like right. 40 minutes total yeah 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 and then it goes into like yeah of course uh, they'd be long songs actually if it was yeah. five <laughs> some pink floyd album <laughs> so then it goes to um you know a double a double lp which obviously the costs then go up yeah so, yeah so since the beginning of albums existing bands have had to work to that template of of around 10 songs Mm -hmm. now that continued then into cds but actually cds could 
could carry up to probably 30 songs, but bands still did around 10 to 15. Sometimes it went up a little bit more if there were bonus tracks. Yep. But the album then became expected to be that length. Then you get the sort of uh, situation that we were talking about before where artists feel that they have to fill that for it to warrant as an album and to be a substantial release. Yeah. Whereas actually... I can think of plenty of albums that were, you know, in the back catalogues of, of artists that I that I like, where for some albums I only liked six songs. Yeah. And yeah, if yeah. it had been stemmed down to an EP, perhaps I'd remember it more favourably because I'd have gone, Oh, that was really strong, it's punchy and got to the point and yep. six songs and done. But an EP was seen as lesser than an album. So yeah, instead yeah, yeah. you had filler. So actually the you know, the the current state of play removes that pressure from an artist to have to create to fill that traditional format. So in some ways, I, I do think that the current uh, model of, of streaming is actually quite liberating for artists. And I'm not, I'm not saying that, you know, they, that, you know, what this guy said, right. And that he, you know, he ought to be dictating what they do. But I just think that when you look at streaming as a whole, and this is what he's talking about here. He's not talking about what he demands. He's yeah. talking about, what streaming means and how artists need to respond to it. And that means more regular content rather than, you know, a chunk of content, some of which will be filler every two to three years, which is, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, it doesn't, it doesn't wash. Well, do you remember the quote I, I bought a while ago now, it seems, um, with Ollie Sykes from Bringing the Horizon? Yeah. When he said they're just going to release the songs when they're done and they're only, they're only going to make the songs they want to play live mm-hmm. rather than do an album with 14 tracks and they only play three of them live. Yeah. Because he said, what's the point in learning them, you know? Yeah. And I was listening to, um, I, was, I believe it was the Chris DeMakes uh, podcast, when like parts will get written and they have to go away and learn the single mm-hmm. to be able to play it live because that was, they only played it that way. Yeah, yeah. In... The when the producer got yeah. involved and then they had to go away and learn their song. Yeah, I can think of a lot of examples of bands where that's been the case, where a single's come out and it's been quite sort of high production and then it's just never really worked live because it was never intended yeah, to be played yeah, live yeah. in the way that we heard it on the recording. I it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's a funny one. And I do think that he does need to sort of... All right. So at the end of the year, at the financial year, I'm sure he'll get given a list of the top 10 artists. Now, for instance, I know that Drake broke the amount of streams in one day when his latest or the last album that he did came out. It had it before that Mariah Carey had it for December the 24th. Um, the Christmas song that she oh, right. did. Yeah, that was the most amount <laughs> of streams sense. in one day. Now, typically, and I'm sure you've got the exact figures. A song, depending on... I don't know how it works, because you think there was just one... But everywhere I read, you sent me a table, but I found figures less than that table you sent me. Well, the table that I sent you, um, which basically breaks down how many streams they would need on, on a very a various list of, of platforms, um, this... Uh, that, that they note that this is the breakdown for the master, which is obviously what the label have. Mm-hmm. So for an artist that's releasing via a label, they would get um, essentially a tenth of of this. Yep. Um, I believe that's right. Uh, so, 
you know, if you or I was going to release some music today via Spotify, these are the numbers that we would need to make that money. If you were releasing your music via a label because you've agreed into some, you know, yeah. contract or whatever, uh, you're not getting quite as much because they own the masters. Yeah. Uh, so which one should I pick out? So at, it breaks it. And actually, I think it puts them in order of, uh, of how many streams to, to basically earn a pound. So to earn a quid on Spotify, uh, they would need, an artist would need to have 330, sorry, sorry, 357. Streams. Streams. Which is a lot, isn't it? Yeah, that, that equates to uh, 3,114 to, um, streams to earn an hour at the UK minimum wage. Uh, and the number of streams to earn an average minimum wage for a year. So you've got to be getting about four and a half million streams on Spotify a year to earn a minimum wage salary. Yeah. Which is incredible, really. So, Well, I'm afraid I don't think we're going to make it. Well, no, I think we've only got about (laughs) 90-odd monthly listeners. Uh, since we put the EP back up, Canada Water EP, <laughs> well, the, available on Spotify This is now. the thing that frustrates me, because we obviously aren't an active band. We've At put, one point, we, it used to cover costs, but not make us any money. No, I think... We've that, never made money off Spotify, have we? Uh, no, because I think by the time Spotify really kicked in, I think we had finished it. up. <laughs> um, I think I think we used to we used to cover our costs when we had it on iTunes and that sort of thing. And obviously, yeah, we were making more money it. for yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but the, the, this is what frustrates me, though, is that this year so we we've put those songs back up because people wanted to hear them uh, and obviously they, they're treating spotify as their music catalog and they want yeah. those songs there to put in their playlist and as soon as they disappeared as they did in previous years people asked oh where are they gone can we have them back yeah um and it's not a huge amount i mean it, it works out about 35 40 quid a year for us to do that okay but Whew. even with the uh, interest that we've got from people that want to hear those songs they're not listening to it that amount of times that is needed for it to pay for itself, unfortunately. So at the end of this year, either we put it back up at a loss or we don't have it there at all. And then that's that's a shame because then that doesn't exist in people's music collections. So yeah. here's something that I would, as a positive thing, that I would pitch to Spotify and any other platforms. If a record a release doesn't actually make the money to cover the upload cost, it just stays there. Because it's because they're not making anything and, and neither is the artist. Yeah. Do you see what I mean? So you look at something like Bandcamp. You can upload your songs to Bandcamp and have them streamed there. And you don't have to pay a penny. We, where you would pay is as you earn. So as somebody um, downloads a song and pays for the download, you would then pay a cut to okay. Bandcamp. But you can yep. have the song there to stream as you can on various platforms for free. Why don't Spotify implement something like that so that artists that you know, even just hobbyists that want to put their music up there for people to have in their catalogue can have it there and they're not doing it at their own expense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which we're talking about a very small category of artists here. You know, it is bands like ours that are, you know, historical acts that don't do anything nowadays, but people just want it up there for, because people still want that access to that music. Such as me, like my laptop is falling apart. I don't ha- add new music to my phone because I use Spotify. Yeah. So I'd have no way when I'm feeling nostalgic of listening to our old EP without Spotify. Well, there is a, there's a get around that I've had to figure out because there are gaps in the Spotify library. Interesting. Um, the way that you do it is you set them as local files on your 
uh, so you have to have the MP3. So you have to either have yeah. had the CDs or have the MP3s from somewhere else. You you can there is a way that you can import them, and then you can actually download them through that onto your mobile app as well. Okay. So it can be done, but it's not easy. You know, it, Joe Bloggs wouldn't know how to do it without somebody you know telling them how it's done. Yeah. Uh, but there are lots of gaps in Spotify. So I mean, maybe we'll move along a little bit to you know in terms of our own view of Spotify because I often find myself singing its praises it was something that my parents were looking at recently because my mum was talking about copying some CDs onto their computer and I said look just move over to Spotify and if there's things on there that's not on there that you want I can tell you how to import it but there's some of the things that are missing you may never have had a copy of anyway yeah so you can't import them but you know generally speaking I, I like Spotify I think the platform is good it works well I don't find it to be uh, to have any bugs or anything that you know that it crashes it, it i think it works and i think the interface is really good but it does i just i sometimes i i can't believe that there are mistakes on spotify with like listings of like um particular tracks or artwork that's yeah, wrong yeah, for yeah, things yeah. and what that comes down to is that often the artist isn't the one that's putting it up there it's the label yeah. and the label may own that recording but they don't give two monkeys about it because they worked with that band 15 years ago. Yep. And they're not interested in, in you know, accuracy. They just, you know, people are still going to add it to their library, whether the artwork is wrong yeah, or right yeah, yeah. Or, or whatever it might be. Um, but I just think that's a, it's a shame. It just sometimes I just feel like it could be a lot more complete than it is. Now, obviously, if you were curating an iTunes library, you would you would complete that in the way that you wanted to. Yep. So it's a kind of a trade-off in a way because you do get access to an incredible amount of music. So I I, I, I use it every single day and yeah. I find it unbelievable. Like you think of a song, I think all the little elements, the, you know, on open mics, um, I flicked for a band last week. I found of Monsters and Men by going to Bastille and knowing that they would be a similar artist. I find all of that stuff amazing. And the, like most of the artists have a little blurb at the bottom, don't they? Some don't, some do, depending on, like you said, if someone's been taking the time to upload it. And, you know, new out, old stuff gets imported on and whether that's because um, the record company's done it or if the band has gone through their period where they've now had the songs released back to them. So they thought, Christ, let's get it on Spotify as a new thing. And that's when a lot of albums get re-released with new covers Mm -hmm. and four live tracks on the end or a vinyl release. And that's typically done, especially with the older albums, if the... They've done their 20 years with that label. Yeah. And they label and they've gone, Can we have our songs back now, please? And they've gone, Oh yeah, there, there they are. And MXPX have done that with some re-releases recently. Um, because Mike Herrera has said that they've got the songs back. They asked for them back and suddenly they they've been out and they've put them on Bandcamp, another one that he always mentions, which I now can't remember the name of, but if I think of it, it will go in the show notes. But these albums get re-released because they know it's the they have to be on a, on a streaming service because that is how we all listen to music That's now. That's people are looking for to, it. To quickly finish the Mariah Carey thing, that day that she had became the most streamed, that song became the most streamed song in a day, acquainted to something like under a hundred, well, I say under, it was about a hundred thousand US dollars for one day. Right. 
that went to whoever owned that song and then whatever her percentage deal is she mm-hmm. got some of that mm-hmm. now mariah carey's not worried she's worth <laughs> something like 500 million or something it's something stupid um so she's not worried but as a, to be the top streamed art song ever yeah. this was until drake took it with his new album and only to get 100,000 is pretty mad com- considering that when she first recorded that song the label chucked a million wow. at her at the recording yeah. process for that song mm-hmm. with, the, with the music video the press and everything it acquainted to something just shy of a million US dollars yeah and that's before inflation yeah yeah. so and you think well, 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 I can't remember the, the actual year but that track's probably 20 odd years old 25 years old or something mm-hmm. silly now but you know it's mad and but it's sort of the way we consume music has had to change so when me you and i first were buying cds vinyl was sort of an entity that was dying but some bands would release singles and you and i for whatever reason we liked vinyl yeah it's like picking up like seven inch records from hmv stores and but it was rare to find a mainstream retailer with a vinyl area. I think HMV and Paul had t- a couple of boxes at the back, didn't it? Mm-hmm. Near the posters. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't like it is now where it they've got a, whole yeah, aisles. Like an wasn't it? And occasionally we, your dad or whoever, would take us up to London to go to Tower Records, which is no longer there, which probably now, if it had survived, would be doing very well with records, yeah, with yeah. album, with, because it had a great vinyl area. But we'd have to go up to London yeah, to do to that. Get that selection. So typically our music was found at like car boots and little backstreet record stores which were like getting a few in or whatnot but typically we were getting cds back then but i was recently listening to a podcast where they were talking uh, did i mention this last time about yellow card and how much they spent on ocean avenue yeah so they were given a budget of three hundred fifty thousand. they spent seven hundred thousand. they doubled it they had the record producer they wanted they spent 700,000 recording that album. Which is quite um, modest, really, well, as, a, but, as a budget for... But for back then... But, but for an artist of their kind, but, it is quite a huge amount of money. So to put that into context with an album that I know how much they spent on the most recent album, Rubik Fish, on Cheer Up, spent 300 grand. For Why Do They Rock So Hard, 200 grand. For their most recent album, 6,000 pounds. Mm-hmm. Because the money isn't there in CD sales. You know, you think of the videos. So typically, Kerrang! or Enemy would come out on a Wednesday. We would see what tours and what albums would be getting released because back then you had a MySpace or you had an advert on a Scuzz or a Kerrang! Mm -hmm. or a VH1 or whatever you were listening to. But, you know, typically you found out about new music through a magazine. Now, as people stopped reading the magazine because things became more online, Kerrang! started... You know, Kerrang's now died of death, hasn't it? And now it's just an online thing. But back then... I think it's still a print copy as well. But I mean, I'm sure the circulation is far lower. I thought this year they'd gone non-print or possibly... Anyway, it doesn't matter. Uh, But I never went on the internet to look at Kerrang because I found the website dull. You know, the only website I used back then was Punktastic. And even that, most of the time, they got their news from a Kerrang. You know, you'd read it on the Wednesday, you know, Fall Out Boy announced mm-hmm. huge UK arena tour, and then it would be on at 8pm on Punktastic because they bought Kerrang, you know. Um, it's funny, I forgot about Punktastic. That was quite a big thing for us. Well, yeah, but the, the but an album came out, they'd spent, call it 500 grand, 
they'd spent probably 50 grand on a video. Jimmy Eat World, The Middle, for instance, they'd take that one. That video was pretty up there. Heavy rotation. I don't know what they were getting for a rotation of a video or how much they paid outright to have the rights to that video to be able to stream it. But you'd watch it. From that, you'd go, wow, I love this single. I'm going to go and buy the album. Mm -hmm. You'd buy the album, you know, read the insert, have the physical copy in your hand. But that's just not... Yeah, so this is where 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 the pendulum keeps swinging back and forth. Because when we were uh, restricted to those platforms, such as Kerrang!, you know... Enemy, the magazines, the TV channels, yeah, you know, music TV. There's only there's a finite amount of space in the magazine for the pages, and there's a finite amount of hours in the day that they could play the the videos on TV. Yeah, so there's obviously that equates to a finite amount of artists as well. So what the internet did was was blow everything completely out of the water and and, and yeah. say no, you can have an unlimited amount of articles and bands, an unlimited amount of videos on YouTube, but that completely uh destroyed that funnel that sort of like focused mind of, yeah, like, yeah, of, yeah. of looking at something and and being told uh hey check this out do you like this and you go yeah i do quite like that and then you follow up on it yeah whereas yeah. the internet is, is all out there but it's not it's not uh directed at us necessarily and maybe it is but it's done in a way such as uh, promoted posts and and whatever it might be, uh, ads that appear before other videos and things. Yeah. So much so that it has just become an incredible amount of noise. And of course it's going to because, you know, let's say there's 50 people, uh, 50 bands in Krang magazine. Yeah. Yep. You could be in a room with 50 people, <laughs> an unlimited amount of people on the internet. That is, you know... That's inevitable. Like, how yeah, can, yeah, yeah. how can you ever break through that to find the one artist that's going to be your new favorite band? So you end up finding new artists in in just odd ways. Um, and and maybe we'll put a pin in that, and I'll come back to that when we have uh, our next open mics episode uh, about how I found an artist, which is bloody bizarre, but is is so of the internet age. Um, so I guess what I'm saying is. To go back to the comments about it, you know, uh, about how Spotify is kind of, you know, restricting artists or not restricting, but but dictating to artists. Um, is the Internet as a whole not a really good thing that it levels the playing field for artists, even if there are so many people now on the playing field that it becomes hard for any one of those to become the, the front runner? Well, it's, it's like you said, the, the being filtered towards one direction. You know, um, and you don't mean One Direction. Well, no, no. <laughs> Although TV filtered us towards that. Exactly. You know? That's what the, that's what the point of those channels uh, that those um, shows were for. Really, and, it was um, to point you at particular artists. And for, for every, and I'm I really am using this broadly, and for lack of a better term, for every, um, I'm going to say not educated. For every music fan that wants to find stuff there will be a music fan who doesn't give a toss and just listens to whatever is on Radio 1 and will never buy an album and they just like the radio, you know. And that is why local radio stations tend to have 25, 30 tracks of a day that get played over and over again. Every time a new DJ comes on, it's the same cycle, which is why you hear simply read four times in one day and you go are they still you know and stuff like that and that's what some local radio stations they're not playing new bands from the local area so you're relying on like a radio one 
to drop new music because... But even them, their listener figures have gone down. Yeah, I remember when Chris yeah. Moyles, that was my Radio 1 era, was, and he was boasting listener figures of like 11, 12 million. Now Radio 1 gets like eight for a morning show, the biggest show of the day. So even radio, people are... So, you know, the video slowly died out and people weren't spending the money on that. Now, big bands will spend it and it goes on YouTube. But YouTube, I find... Maybe I haven't got the most out of YouTube, but I find it hard to just stumble across stuff on YouTube. So Because you physically have to search for it typically. Yeah, they have the little suggested things, but they're typically of the band or one of the words from the song that you're listening to. Mm-hmm. So I don't spend hours on YouTube. I've never been a YouTuber person. It's, it's not the format I like. I like just putting something on in the background and listening to it, whether that be a record, um, you know, BBC Six Music or whatever I'm listening to. I can do that and just forget about it, which is what I used to do with Scuzz and the video. Uh, you know, if I liked a video back in the day, and we're talking a while ago now, I would watch it, but most of the time it was put on and, you know, occasionally you back and go, oh, I love this In Too Deep by some 41 video or whatever. But I think as budgets dropped, as people realised they could make more music for cheaper, that was a great thing. It was a really positive thing to do because it meant the bands could go and record for 250 quid, you know. Oh, I've bought, you know, Max come with... Um, Garage band. Yeah, and potentially can- do it more regularly as well because that you know, going back to the idea of like the, the two, three year, four year cycle, whatever it is, yeah, yeah. part of that as well is down to cost of, yeah, of what definitely. records used to be. And it's that's a really positive thing. But because it really is a, a unless you have some sort of plat like uh, unless you're slightly known, it's so tricky to get found out now without the the video things. Where you know, yeah. our, a local band that we toured with a few times, Amy Can Fly, they had a video. They had two videos on Scuzz and whatnot because Horsepower, their label at the time, paid or what did whatever they had to do to get that video on. Yeah. Now they would never. I don't know what the cost would be to get like. The only way that would get played now is on YouTube. And unless you're searching Amy Can Fly, that's an odd one to just stumble across, isn't it? <laughs> sure. So it's really difficult. Like, so I, I just don't know. I, I'd struggle to be in a band now to know what, like, how do you do it? How do yeah. you get out there? How do you have a voice and try and work your way through the already established artists. Yeah. I don't think it's too dissimilar to podcasts, actually. I, I think oh, it's, yeah, it's, it's, yeah. it's a very similar situation. Um, something I thought of as, as we are talking then, um, going back to how the, 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 the music magazine or the channel, whatever, kind of did the job for us of telling us where those new releases were coming from and, and when. You know, we, we've talked a lot about how release radar has been a, a really good tool for us. Yeah, that's my one of my favourite features. On, on Spotify, of course. Um, now, for those of you who aren't familiar, what release radar does is it combs through your existing catalogue, it knows the artist that you like, and if there's a new release from that artist that gets uploaded, it puts it in there on a Friday uh, for you to find. Yep. Perhaps the reason we like that so much is because it's doing the job that the music magazine used to do for us. It's yeah. actually separating out 
all the noise and just giving us the songs. Yeah, yeah. And what I now think that there's a lot of artists that I've got back into in the last couple of years, it's because of Release Radar. Yeah, definitely. I you mean, know, I totally bands agree. that I haven't listened to maybe for 15 years. You know, The Darkness. I, you know, I haven't listened to a Darkness album since Permission to Land in 2003. I know they've released them, yeah. but they haven't come close enough to And me. you're now a big champion of um, the Easter is Cancelled or whatever album. it is. Yeah, yeah, we talked about it on the show. Um, but that was given to me on a plate of you want this here it is right? yeah yeah definitely and then i i just was like yeah and i just kind of clicked through and listened to it and the rest is history so so that actually works really well for us but what it doesn't do and there is there's obviously other playlists for this but what release radar doesn't do is it doesn't mix in new artists occasionally you might get something where an artist that you've got a track from features on another one and then you discover an artist yeah another artist that way yeah but you need to as well as release radar you need to be listening to um discover weekly where it gives you the tracks based on artists that you like but i've tried those in the past and i always find that the algorithm gives me artists that i've always that i've already decided that i don't like yeah and that's the reason they're not in my library yeah so well, I so I I didn't used to listen to Discover Weekly until we started doing this podcast, purely because I didn't want to. We've got bands we always mention, but not having a, a a platform now for me to find out about new bands, my new favorite bands. And I, I was trying to think what was the last new band I found, and I think it was, uh, and now I can't even remember the name of them. But they were on paper and plastic. We are um We are the Union. We are the Union. Now I remember we found out about them through Vinny from Lesson Jake on his um because did they tour with them? But typically that was how we found out about new bands because they were the first support. Yeah, bands support would take slots. bands they liked on. And obviously if it was a bigger band, it might be a package tour or money's exchanged hands and there's been a buy-on. <laughs> But most of the time, the bands that we like were typically taking their mates on tour. You know, Bullets for Broadway were a band that did NEP and then sort of went there whatever way. Only found out about them, really, from knowing that they were going to be on a tour, so searched out their songs and then saw them on the tour. So it's... But these packages, a lot of the time, like a, a bigger band, will only take one band on... And they're normally established already to help sell tickets. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, Frank Turner took Jimmy Eat World on tour. It's like, well, that's great because Frank was doing big venues and probably needed a, the some yeah. um, ticket sales from Jimmy. But and he had a reason for that. And, you know, he said it was an amazing opportunity to be able to for Jimmy Eat World to say yes, because it was a band that obviously at one point were huge. Yeah, it certainly made sense on that tour because that was a bigger tour for... Frank, so yeah, it did. And help. I but, think he gets. I think, the, I think the problem with that slightly, with, with sometimes when they pick those, is that often they pick bands that aren't far enough outside of the existing audience for the headline act. So yeah, it, doesn't, yeah. it doesn't really sell many more tickets. No, and there, but and he has championed smaller bands in the past. Beans on and toast. I think he did stuff. have a smaller support open as well. Yeah, but that would be typically how we. And like I said, you know, Vinny sort of was very pro we are the union and i remember you sort of telling me about them and turns out i haven't kept in touch with them but they were i was trying to think like who was the last band that i found out from another band and it's that was a while ago like there's not many that i go he's told me i've got to go and listen to it like 
I'm really racking my brain at trying to think of a new one. Like, yeah, most... I, think, I think what tends to happen more in that respect is that I, I've heard of a band and then somebody I know from another band might reference them on a podcast or something and I go, yeah. oh, they are, you know, uh, vouching for them. I'll now give them a go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they were, you know, we, we used to trawl through the, the little booklet in the CD of who they thanked. Yeah, I know yeah. a lot of people mentioned that, but it was a thing, you know. You, well, yeah. Oh, they've thanked this band. I like that band. Oh, who's the band next to them? I'm going to go and search them on MySpace, you know. Yeah, I think, I think you know, what this largely is, is that kind of culture of, of giving, of, of bands giving other bands a leg up, wasn't it? And and it happened via the tours or, or yeah, those thank you sections obviously, you know, were, were surprisingly good for finding out new artists. Uh, I think we spoke on a, a podcast at some point about how maybe the modern equivalent of that is the kind of the feature on another track. So some band will have somebody appear. Like there was one recently, um, this one doesn't really work because I think actually it's the other way around. Actually, this Halsey uh, was on a Bring Me track, yeah, yeah, yeah. wasn't she? Um, I think possibly she was given Bring Me the the, the leg up on that one because... Um, Turns out she's huge. Yeah. <laughs> but, but you know what I mean? Like, you know, there's, there's, there's obviously lots of, of, of features and that sort of thing. And that, and that does work quite well with the Spotify algorithm because it will then plant that band into your um release radar yeah and i maybe spotify could do a you know here's who's only getting do you know what i mean like what's it sorry here's because they know the genre Mm -hmm. because you know typically that discover weekly will be a will tick nine times out of ten every track is like oh yeah i would i would have tried to find this if i knew it'd come out Maybe what they want to do is a Discover New Weekly where they take, here's what's been, here's some artists that have just... Uploaded music. Uploaded music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. From a pop-punk genre, from an indie genre, from a pop... Please give them a try. Or like, here's 10 bands of this genre that are getting less than a 1,000 subscribers a, a, a yeah. thousand listens a month yeah i think you're right i think because i think that's the issue isn't it because with... i would give them a go i would go all right let's have a listen to this let's yeah, see yeah i think that is the issue with the discover weekly is as we've been saying is that it will often be older tracks from artists that you've maybe already decided you don't like um so to to restrict it to just new tracks and i'll tell you what even if it was new tracks from artists that i decided that i didn't like i'd still give a new track a go unless i'd really written yeah. a band off most tracks most most artists i give a new track a go i do i do because this this whole thing goes into way further there's so many tangents you could go off and i hate to touch back on like how we find out about new music back in the day but all right no but it's that is but very think relevant. about the venues right that we used to go to mm-hmm. that are no longer around and then think of the bands we saw there. Like, just from, like, the Nexus in Southampton, I can name, you know, the bands that we saw there and found out because of a live room. Pickled Dick, Phineas Gage, um, Failsafe, Sonic Moon 6, Howard's Alias. All these bands were touring bands that we would have never, ever seen unless we were going to 100-cap venues in Bournemouth. Mm-hmm. Mr. Smith's, you know, R.I.P., you know, 
most of the bands I sort of, you know, Jesse James, all these bands were bands that we saw supporting and we went, we have to go and see them when they do their own little tour. Mm-hmm. And they would have never, ha- we would have never seen them if we weren't going to local shows. And that unfortunately brings up the whole subject of these dying fucking little venues. Yeah. And the government being late to get involved, and I know there's now funding for the arts, but all these little venues like Southampton Joiners, like, um, I was going to say the Roadmender, but that's got a bigger room as well, hasn't it? <laughs> but like the, the, venue, rooms. the venues that yeah. we used to play, the venues yeah. that we have travelled for two hours, one hour, ten minutes down the road to try and see, seeing these four band bills that are being put on by local promoters who are nine times out of ten losing money, <laughs> you know, and that whether or not that's because they've made bad decisions or people aren't showing up, you know, that's neither here nor there, but maybe there should be some funding for the, like a new band bill. Mm-hmm. So I would say once a month, they're given a budget from the government that says once a month, can you put on four unknown local artists and it's free, but then would you'd still argue would who, people who would go? go? Yeah. It, it's I, such a tricky situation. Yeah. I mean, that could be a completely uh, separate hour, couldn't it? About, obviously the state of venues and, and how the government's responding but um i do i think they recognize the um the economic value of artists that come out of those venues you know yeah, they, yeah. they know yeah. that ed sheeran came from somewhere yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And, and they know that it's up through those venues i think where it falls down is that you can't quantify it necessarily like you can't say if you invest in these venues you are going to get a return with an ed sheeran every year who's going to be who's going to be an international artist it's just you you can't you can't predict that stuff yeah yeah. so i think that's why they don't get the investment whereas like some of the uh the theaters and stuff will get the investment because they know if you put les mis on you're going to sell this many tickets, so exactly, you'll get the return yeah. on, on the investment in, in support, propping it up. But that's another Which is probably why shows like X Factor, however poor the press comes out and says their viewers have been for the current series or whatever, like every year the, they seem to drop and every year they change the judges and every year there's a new angle on it, like, oh, we're doing groups this year, just groups, or this year we're doing just solo artists. For every, you know, for every poor viewer, like viewing figure that comes out, still being made, it's still having a fortune churned on mm. it. It's still doing arena um, tours afterwards, yeah, and it's still being backed by the fin- by the finances and by you know it's ITV or whatever it is or Channel Four. They're still plowing money into it because they know then they've got a percentage of whatever that... But, you know, Ollie Mers, he didn't even win it. <laughs> and very look often at him. he's not the winner. One Direction but... didn't win it. The year that One Direction were on it, Matt Carter won it. Well, What's happened to him? I don't think Little Mix won it either, did they? Or maybe they did. No, I don't think they I'm did. not sure they did. But it's amazing. Well, that's the curse of X Factor. There are a lot of the people who come second mm-hmm. typically do better. But the money that gets ploughed into them, even though the show on TV probably loses money, from putting it on how much they have to pay the judges, how much Simon Cow takes from having the initial idea and all that shit. They make all the money from ploughing it into them afterwards. But that's because there's hype. Now, you go to a joiners on a Tuesday night, how much hype is coming out of it mm-hmm. about this new the band that opened? It's just and even if there was a bit of hype, it's seventy five 
100 people. You know, no one's... It's very rare you get a, 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 record, a record executive now showing up to a venue to see the new Rolling Stones. Whereas yeah. back then, they would have got a phone call saying, you need to go to this gig on, in wherever on a Friday night. And you'd go there. And afterwards, he'd come home and goes, I want to sign you, boys. It doesn't work like that now anymore. No, no. Because it, it's it, not the 60s. Well, it, <laughs> it works. Oh, you know, to bring it back to online, it, it, that's how it works now, is that... Uh, an ex- an exec or you know an A and R scout or whatever is going to see a spike in streams or whatever, and then they take yeah. an interest. Yeah. And and the crazy thing is they don't even need to question the quality or whether they like the music or whatever. They can see that it's already a hit. Back in the day when they were scouting for artists that could possibly make money, they were having to judge it for the quality because yeah. then it was the quality would probably lead to people liking it and buying the music, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So. That is why perhaps people might say, oh, the quality of music's gone down. Yeah. Maybe it hasn't. Maybe what it is, is that things are being picked up and money's being put behind stuff that is popular already with a particular artist, but isn't necessarily universally liked, Mm -hmm. which was perhaps what record labels were looking for back in the day, because that was a safer bet if they were going to invest in it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a a really good point. But what we've lost in terms of content in paper form and video form you can't deny that the music industry on spotify seems very healthy until he came out and (laughs) people started arguing had you heard before that any artist moaning about the streaming thing now i know there was that situation with jay-z wasn't there Mm -hmm. because he went off and created his own title yeah but where's that now well, interestingly, uh, Tidal pays better <laughs> for artists. So, Well, that's why he did it, wasn't it? Yeah. So, How they, much are Tidal paying? They only have to, um, they only have to get 143 streams to earn a quid on Tidal, which is... So why isn't... I, I didn't even know the name. Like, I knew he did it, but well, what's be- happened there? Because, no. because uh, in Spotify many ways... Spotify is so accessible. Spotify you know? has built a platform, built a brand. Uh, people, you know, have bought into it. And why would you move from Spotify to another platform? It's, it's a big ask of people, I think. Um, in part because they might be in contract. Uh, but probably mostly because it's just the effort of having to transfer over to a new platform yeah. you know the the, the slight uh insecurity of, of will everything be there that i've got currently on a new platform and in some cases it's not yeah um because obviously you get into the the awkward territory of when you have an exclusive release on on some platforms which is just madness but it does happen um so yeah i mean you know on this list here you've got so Amazon uh, MP3 is what I think it's called, or it might be Prime now. I think they might have rolled it into Prime. Uh, Tidal, uh, Apple Music, Deezer, Google Play Music, and then Spotify, Pandora. So there's there's plenty of platforms out there. I mean, I think some of these are um, perhaps bigger in 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 different international markets. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. But but certainly uh, for you know the, the Western countries, uh, Spotify it kind of has the monopoly on this. Um, Interestingly, so so YouTube, uh, to earn the same on YouTube, you'd have to get 833 streams to earn a pound. Um, so, Do they have a, a, 
In my naivety, do YouTube have a music thing where they don't play a video alongside? Uh, I think they've just introduced this recently. And okay. I, I don't quite know how it works. I've not looked into it myself. And but, obviously, um, YouTube now, you can pay for where you can come off the app yeah, if so you're using it on yeah, a smartphone close your or screen and, yeah. uh, Whereas if, you know, typically if I close the screen now, I lose the video. But mm. I don't know how much they charge a month. It's not... I'll probably end up getting no, it. But. I don't know. But I just... It's a bit like the early days of social media where obviously everybody was on MySpace and nobody thought that everyone would go to a different platform. They did. They went to Facebook. Uh, And then I think what people were thinking was that, uh, oh shit, you know, maybe everyone will migrate to another platform again. What's actually happened is everyone's kind of dispersed. So some people have gone to Instagram, some people have gone to uh, Snapchat or TikTok or whatever it might be. Um, You know, at that point with, with the streaming platforms where, I just can't see what's going to come along that's going to take away from Spotify. Because I think even, um, you know, with this kind of negative press, I don't think people are going to move away from Spotify for um, for ethical reasons. Because you've got platforms like Bandcamp. And Bandcamp are doing this fantastic thing at the moment, aren't they? I think it's the first Friday of every month yep. where they um, they waive their fees. Uh, so artists are doing like a real drive towards that Friday yeah, yeah, to, yeah. to get people to you know buy the songs that day because they get a better cut from it. Um, but you know people aren't flocking on mass to to Bandcamp as an no, alternative. No, because I for find Spotify. it a bit. It's not it, as a platform. It's not. It's all right to navigate around, but it's not the easiest. Yeah, I mean, I think it, Bandcamp certainly favours uh, you know new artists as, yeah. as as a way of not just. Um, you know hosting music but also you can sell merchandise and stuff through that platform um but as we've been saying throughout this conversation spotify is becoming that go-to place it's, it is just like a second nature it's like going onto your iphone and you're opening the browser and by default it's safari yeah spotify is kind of people's default music player now well yeah it's you know when you set up your iphone and you have your front screen of the stuff you use most. Mm-hmm. I remember when Spotify was like in one of the little tabs on the second page. Now he's front and centre, you know. Yeah. He's he is. He's there, look. I'm showing you. I can see. Like that's my that's <laughs> Thanks for the proof. literally the easiest sun position to get to. Yeah. If you want to know, it's it's second row up to the left, <laughs> you know. Um because I literally, I get in the car, I put it on, and obviously it's got the car mode now, so it has the big screen, so you don't even have to touch it, which is when I put the Discover Weekly on normally, and it just plays out. You know, gone are the days of skipping through on what's my favourite track, bang, bang, bang. You know, oh, play the song all the way through, because, you know, obviously just you can't risk getting caught these days in your car because of the fine and the band. And Spotify seem to always change and cater for that. I think for what it's worth, yeah, probably could with the amount of money it's worth how much he's worth as ceo but he's only he's so he's nine percent shareholder but he gets a 37 percent vote um his 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 stake is worth 37 percent in a vote but he only owns nine percent of it now because obviously as companies grow you sell it make money you sell a bit more wait a few years it's worth x amount you sell a bit more so it's it's now nine percent from whatever like you say, ethically, yeah, could be more generous and that's fine. And no, he shouldn't dictate how bands and artists release their music. But for whatever bad you say, it's amazing. Like, it's such a great platform to listen to music on. And it's very rare I search an album that's not on there. 
Mm. Yeah. So, so what they've built is a platform that it's it, easy to get round. That is that favors the the listener perhaps more so than the artist. Yeah. Do you do you ever go on? Um, you've got a Mac in front of you now, but do you ever go on to like? <laughs> and if you've got Internet Explorer, and um, uh, sorry, if you've got Windows, do you ever go like Windows Media Player with the bloody Spirograph you know, thing? Or do you ever go on Apple? Music? Uh, no, only on iTunes. Sorry, as it's called. I'm just trying to think of the name because I haven't used it in that long. Do you I ever think it's actually put a CD I think it's, in? I think it's now well, music. Have a CD port, does it? No. So, do, when was the last time you uploaded a CD to your Mac and moved it onto your Pig in Creative Zen? <laughs> you know, the, well, it the, just doesn't happen. The only reason it's happened is is because I went through about I don't know, probably about a year ago, and added in those tracks that were missing. Okay. Uh, but to do that, I had to dig out my old MacBook and upload the tracks through the CD drive on on that, and it was just like it just it you know this is what I mean about it being frustrating. And really, in the grand scheme of things, you know, we used to do this for all of our tracks on iTunes, so it's not that no, much of a pain in the ass, but. By comparison, it does feel a little bit like I it. I remember when I got my Mac, and mine's ancient now. I remember spending evenings just putting the CD in, mm-hmm. uploading it to iTunes, taking it out, putting another one in, and then having to go onto a separate thing to plug my iPod in or my Creative Zen or whatever you add or my MP3 player, add 100 tracks at a time, add 100 tracks at a time. And unfortunately, we are in a tap-tap world now where everyone wants it at the touch of a finger mm-hmm. and you just... This is what I mean. So so the app is, you know, Spotify as a whole platform is really convenient and good for the listener. But, you know, obviously there are some concerns here for the artist. How much, how much does it cost to keep an app like that working? Like, that's what oh, I'd I'm like sure, to know. I'm sure, I'm sure yeah, And yeah. they must have to release the finances somewhere, mm-hmm. you know... Um, I know charities have to release their books every year to know exactly what they're using oh, the money for. It will, it will be. But I wonder, available. say it costs them, I don't know, forgetting his wages and whatever he takes out in dividends and stuff. You know, say they've got 100 members of staff mm-hmm. and all of them are earning 60000 You know, they're making a lot more than that a year, I think, from bands putting on music. You know, they probably could reduce the profit margins to keep people a bit more happy. Because all that will happen, like Jay-Z creating Tidal, I'm assuming his stuff is still on Spotify, though. I don't think he's as stupid to take it off and just go to I Tidal. I think possibly he might have done initially, and then I think perhaps backpedaled think on I'm, that. Now you're saying that, I believe yeah, you're Yeah, right. I'm sure that was the whole thing around the release, is that it was it was a big thing about they, these artists were pulling their, their music. I mean, this was probably about five or so years ago that they tried to do this, and it, and it, you know, it didn't work. So that's, that's kind of my, my point here, is that, you know... People aren't people aren't drawn away for ethical reasons. You know, would people be drawn away if a better app came along? You know, that worked better than Spotify does, possibly. But it would be so hard to demonstrate to people that it was better because people would need to be on it with all their music to feel the benefit. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. But it's so hard to demonstrate what what you know what that functionality is like if people aren't using it day to day as we are. Um, to bring it back around to to the quote, and obviously, you know the the main point, and we, I mean, we did touch on this, but the idea about uh, bands releasing music more often. As a fan, what would be your preference? Would you prefer to have 
a drip feed of regular music from an artist as and when they see fit? Or would you prefer to have a body of work such as an album every couple of years? Gut reaction to, to, to that. What what would be your preference? It doesn't have to be either or answer. All right, yeah. <laughs> so maybe a drawn out, like what Billy Talent have done with... Um, you know that when did I mention that first track? That was like Christmas. Yeah, it was, I think before that. You know they released like three singles. We haven't had the album yet. Whether that's to do with the pandemic, um, but maybe a couple of singles and then the album. But I'm happy to have that every couple of years. Mm. Every and if it takes them three to four years, fine. You know, I don't, I don't see a problem with that. The thing that I wonder is, I'd be more worried about not getting a podcast. You know, there's a podcast, like, there's not been a new episode for four months now because one of the <laughs> presenters is recording, is off doing something else. Ah, come on! Give me, you know, <laughs> bit of a band disappeared for uh, for four years. I might just take a bit of time off. <laughs> yeah. Oh, great, they've got a new album. I'd be, I'd be still really excited. Yeah, I wonder whether... Um, because one thing I think about albums, and, you know, we touched on this at the start, about how some albums are released and there's there's too much filler i would rather that when a band puts out an album they've put it out because they want to and because they've got an album's worth of songs and i think there's even an argument for an album being a bit more of a cohesive sort of line of thought yeah rather than it being like just a collection of songs yeah it being intended to be heard either you know from start to finish or just in that group of those songs yeah uh, rather than just like a greatest hits so I'd rather a band did that if that's what they wanted. Yeah. If they didn't want to do that, please do not bother us <laughs> with filler. Like, I feel yeah. like I've heard enough filler tracks from us. And, and I am not talking about songs that I just don't like as much as others. Yeah. There is, you know, a random sample of people would tell you that that song is has been put on there to pad. And, yeah, and probably yeah, yeah. if you ask the artist, they would be quite honest and tell you that too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they had to, because they had to make an album, they had to fill it. So album, if it makes sense, EP, if that makes sense, a track every month, if that makes sense. I think ultimately I would come down on, it It should be up to the artist how they want to do it. But his comments are right in that. I think we've already said it. If you uh, are a new artist and you're trying to gain traction, you cannot afford to take off a huge amount of time no. without something. And it doesn't have to be an album. And I, and I don't think he's even saying, you know, that this should be an album. I think actually he's actually saying quite the opposite, that put out a track. Just stay current, stay stay on top of it. Yeah, put out an acoustic version, put out a remix, wow. put out a B-side. You know, the amount of CD singles, this is another thing I thought about. CD single, right? So that was a format that was accepted and, and, and expected of us yeah, to do yeah. that, right? So, okay, you put a track on it. Well, you don't want to put another track on from the album because, you know, otherwise it's, you know, it's detracting from the album. You up. get whoever's so popular you, at the time in a different genre to do a remix. Yeah. Or you, or you a, do the... Or an off-cut B-side. B-I-B for or, mix, yeah. you know, the, the, you know a, an acoustic version yeah. of just you, you know... I, uh, yeah, those sort of things... There used to be some CD singles with four tracks and there'd be... Th- Three remixes on yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah. yeah, certainly pop songs and stuff in the 90s, there definitely were. Um, but those sort of tracks, and there are artists that are already doing this, I think that, that's the way to keep. Um, well, I'll, I'll tell you interested. one for now, like, because I don't think he's had enough of a mention. And I always assume 
the, the people who listen to to our podcast probably like music more on the alternative scale but you know there could be people who are into their pop who just like to listen but anyway to mention him again mike herrera from mxpx <laughs> i think we didn't mention him once so far today so. but since all of this they've released a new version of the 2018 album with extra tracks on mm-hmm. live in texas i think it is yep uh and an acoustic album life in quarantine yeah which is the audio which he from was, a from his streams. Was, oh my god, it's so clever. So he was doing live streams. Because he in his podcast has not when he's bought this up and he bought it up in today's one I listened to with the front man of Millencolin. He bought it up with um, the front man of Punchline. He's never said he disagrees with him. He's also never said if he agrees with him. He's been very clever. But then what I have noticed, he's on it with new merch. Mm-hmm. Good merch, a tour poster for every different show they do. Now, they do what are called weekenders. He calls them weekenders. They're not going on 30-day tours anymore. They typically will go and do a Friday, a Saturday, and a Sunday, or a Thursday. And if they sell it out, they might stay for an extra day. But they fly in, fly out, because that they've all got family. You know, they've got their fingers in other pies. But he is. they are very good at producing content. And that the song's... The um, Life in Quarantine was just Mike singing him, but they've been released under the MXPX format. Now, he's probably done that because a band of that age, I'm imagining it's an equal split these days to keep the original members in, because otherwise you probably could, and he has done in the past, do an MXPX with anyone else. Yeah, I think it's because of their other working commitments. They don't always tour. Yeah, but, but the, the YouTube thing was so clever with the, with the life in quarantine because obviously there's there's plenty of artists right now that have been doing um, YouTube sessions, and at the time when I was watching his YouTube sessions, I just thought he's obviously got good gear. He's made this sound good. What I didn't realize was whilst he was taking that time playing all those shows, he was recording them. Yeah, with the intention to release them. So not only does he get the uh, you know, the YouTube streaming revenue for those shows. And we, obviously we've, we know what that is from this here, but he also gets the Spotify streaming revenue for all the audio from those And videos. it's a physical release now. And he's done it as a, as a physical I think release. the vinyl is a double whatever, yeah. which comes out later this year. Yeah. I think he's, he's talking about December for that or something. Well, what's funny is... I, I, the CDs are already in. They're being shipped out. He said, he's literally a few weeks afterwards, he was like, some of you might already have them. Yeah. And it's like, well, and but they've just put out another that fever dream mm-hmm. single, that constantly ticking. And guess what? I'm constantly being told about it in Discover Weekly. Yeah. So, some if you I remember if a you few years work- ago that he was talking about reading um like some just some marketing books, uh, just you know running the mill sort he of thing. He reads, doesn't he? He's on it. And from obviously my you know I say in another life in my main in my life uh, you know in marketing um and you know my my education in that, in that area there is certainly this uh this line of thought at the moment that you create something and then you do as much with that thing as you can so you you sort of double up and 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 make as much revenue as you can off that one piece that you've produced now it works in content so you know and then maybe this is something that we'll do with the podcast in the future it's something that we've looked at and you know trialed before but people will take a podcast and record that then they'll split it up then yeah. they'll put the separate little bits of it out now 
I know some uh, some YouTube-based you know, video cast, podcast type things where they do like a two hour show in the morning. It's like a new show. They talk and then they split up all the different things that they talk about and then they release videos that are on those set topics. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, then the individual videos are named um, based on what news piece it is they're talking about. So then they're then found in a YouTube search based on that where they wouldn't have been for the whole show. Does that yep. make sense? Yeah. So they get the obviously the stream revenue from the, for the whole show, which is watched by the, the regular fans, and then the uh, the streaming revenue from the clip outs that are found through search based on the, the title of, of what it is that they're discussing. Um, but I think that's exactly what Mike's done. And he, he's managed to do it in such a way that even goes beyond digital. And as you say, goes into the physical releases as well. And it's not just the vinyl and the CDs. There are tour posters for the online shows. Yeah, There's yeah. a T-shirt for the online shows, you know. And obviously, you know, we sing Frank's praises quite a lot on this show. He's done a very similar thing with uh, the 2500 show that he did, uh, which was after all the free shows that he did, that was a paid thing to watch. But it was interesting how he now, he obviously that was due to Facebook Live not being the best at buffering sometimes, but he caught on. He did 17 streams, did he? Yeah, I think it was around that. He moved over to YouTube and why not? Like... He has to, you know, these bands, they lose their income. They had to find somewhere making money. And I did think it was odd that he kept doing it on Facebook and just asking for money. Like, why not? If you're giving up your time to relearn the songs, to play them live, why not put it on YouTube where you get X amount for every stream? Now, whether or not he's making enough to even cover the cost of doing a show is one thing. But you've, you've, got, to, you've got to look at the bigger picture and... If if you've got an opportunity like Mark, uh, like Mike Herrera from AXPX to put it on YouTube, put it on a CD, yep, bundle package, put it with this, put it with a poster, of you know someone who it makes sense. The reason why he started on Facebook was because that was where he had the biggest audience. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um. So he knew that people would obviously see those initial few shows. I think he did move over to YouTube, as you, as you say, for, for streaming reasons, for quality reasons. Um, but this is the thing that I, you know, and, and the numbers here aren't great, really, when you look at it for YouTube. You know, obviously, it's it's the highest number of streams needed to earn a quid. But I am surprised how few artists are making uh, the most of YouTube as a platform, and it's like you say, where you where you've not really used YouTube for music. Now, I think I said recently on a show that what I'd done on YouTube was I'd gone through and subscribed to a load of bands that I like to their channel, so that then in my uh, YouTube um, feed of subscriptions, I would get videos and stuff come up in the same way yeah, that yeah, I was. Yeah, um, yeah you discussed this last week. Oh, okay. <laughs> I know it was recently. Um, and that was how I was staying up to date with a lot of bands. And, okay. And releases. I found that a really good way to do it. It's obviously a little bit time intensive because I probably subscribed to about, you know, 50 to 100 artists to do this. Um, and this week I went and added a few more. So, so when I started, I just did my all time favorite bands and I can't even remember how I worked out what that list was, but now I've gone through and I've added some of the bands that, uh, perhaps newer artists that I'm into, uh, because obviously it doesn't cost to do it. It just takes a little bit of time to go through and find them and subscribe. The tricky thing is, so I found this with get up kids, uh, some of their videos, were released by the label's YouTube channel, 
not the artist. Yeah, and yeah. I didn't even know that they were on this label until I tried to find some of their latest vids. And I think what you can do is on the channel, you can add uh, a play a, a playlist or, or, or a video from another channel to appear. Okay. But you've got to go onto that channel to find it. So that wouldn't appear in my feed because they've not uploaded it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It would be like if on Spotify it didn't give you the things in your um, release radar unless you were subscribed to the label that it came out on. Yeah. So that, that wouldn't work. So I wonder whether the labels perhaps need to, um, you know, suck it up and, and just let the artists upload the videos. But I guess it gets tricky in terms of monetization and, yeah. and rights and that sort of thing. Do you think that's maybe where we were, as a band, Canada Water, uh, ahead of our time? Because actually YouTube was something we did all right. You know, the views we've had for a few of our tour videos that you and Greg compiled together from footage that we recorded, actually... <laughs> well, the mad thing was is that um, part of the reason we uh, were, were picked up and featured in Alternative Press magazine was because um, one well, of the editors you, there... Yeah. I think he Legitimately them- funny uh, <laughs> YouTube, YouTube videos I've ever seen. Yeah, yeah which was... You know, I, I was quite surprised at that. I thought they were okay. Like, you know, I no, was there. Uh, I thought they were all right. Yeah. Um, I've seen some, you know, but painfully I loved funny them. stuff. I loved those. I know, obviously, yeah. I've got nostalgia on my side and I was there. Yeah, yeah. But I would watch more videos like that. Now, f- for the context of this, that was um, a mix. How uh, would you describe it? It was a tour video with snippets of tour. Yeah. Basically. So so it's the sort of thing that maybe you see for a, a clip show. Yeah, you know? yeah, a montage. So maybe <laughs> what maybe this is what you might see for a band's third single from an album. They yeah. might do this. Yeah. You know, and I think we talked about this on the videos episode that we did recently. Uh that this is often a, a common trope in in music videos nowadays. But we were doing it not for the tracks. We were just doing it as just content. Yeah. Um and yeah, it was so easy to do. I mean, you just did it on iMovie, stitched them together, added like our latest demo or whatever. And sometimes we didn't even use um, our own tracks. We uh, used Dario G. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Dario, if you're still listening. Um, uh, famously. Subways. Um, I used for a Reading video. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. That was, yeah. That was a Reading video. Um, but, you know, we'd been in a culture of doing that right back to our days of... Um, you know, doing jackass style videos and, yeah. and uploading, you know, the sort of crazy antics we got up to in our but, spare time. But like you say, again, to link it back to Spotify, that isn't saying that he's saying we Spotify expect new songs every three to four months rather than three to four years. A band to stay in the current limelight should be producing content regularly. Yeah. And that I don't think you can argue with it, and it and it doesn't no, it, it, it doesn't it, it, even it, need to be music, and I don't think he even and says I th- that. I think the people and he did get a lot of negative comments, and as we said beginning of the episode, financially yes, he deserves negative credit. He's worth four billion. A lot of these bands getting streams are not worth four billion. Well, I'm unfortunately, not sh- some of I these. Want, Dave Grohl isn't worth four billion. I doubt he's worth four billion. He I might no. He's. I think he's one of the most. Um, I don't know. I don't know if it was. It would be billion, but he's certainly he'll be worth a worth lot, a lot of money. Yeah. <laughs> but all right. So put it this way: an artist who has been around. All right, I will take Blink One Eight Two. All right, we'll take Mark Hoppus. Mm-hmm. Even with the career he's had, 
25, it must be quarter of a century now that he's been yeah, longer, definitely, yeah. definitely longer. He might be worth 4 million, but he's not worth 4 billion. And he's dedicated two thirds of his life yeah. to touring, recording videos, showing up here, showing up there, interview, 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 album cycle, album cycle, album cycle. Yeah. And he might be worth... 10, 15, 20 million. He's not complaining. He's worth a lot of money. But he's not worth 4 billion for someone who said, put your song on my website. And I think what you've got to there, which is the... This is a nice point to conclude, actually, that it hits that intersection of business and creativity, which has always been a tension point. Because what you find is that you've got... You're creative, who, as you said, blood, sweat and tears into that for years and 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 they're not worth, um, you know, what this guy is worth who has just looked at it from a business perspective yeah, and he yeah. might be, you know, he might not have spent as much time on it, but he might just be very clever and yeah, he's played yeah. it in a way that he's earned money in, you know, in a free market, right? Now... I'm not going to say that, uh, that, you know, that's right or wrong. I don't think that's my place to. It's the way that it is. But I think you're always going to have that tension point where those two things meet. And I think that's what you've got right here with these comments is that you've got creatives that are being, you know, dictated to by the way that the industry works. But as I said, I don't think that's something new. It's supply and demand. Yeah. If like, it's the same with a car. It is illegal to touch the radio screen while you're driving. Technically, that that is a rule. It's a distraction. But we asked for them, so the cars put it in there. This was said to me on a recent driver's awareness test. He was like, you're not meant to drink a coffee while you're driving. But the supply, the, the buyer wanted a cup holder, so the, they put one in. Because they could, it's not them... It's not Ford or Volkswagen who get in trouble. It's the guy who's drinking the coffee if he chooses to use that cup holder. But, you know, we asked for music to be easier, easily accessible. He came up with it. He's made a lot of money from it. Mm-hmm. And you can't, deny, no, you can't deny anyone from earning money. Like, I wouldn't say, if you turn around, if I said, Liam, look, I'm going to put it in your hands. Let's market this podcast slightly better and I'll pay for it. You know, and you turn around and say, well, it's going to cost this. Yeah, okay. It costs that, does it? You know, well, who am I to say, no, it doesn't. You know, I don't know any better. You know, uh, and there will be some artists who know how to do similar things to what he does, educated artists and whatnot who have, you know, mm. bang, I wish I'd had that idea. Well, unfortunately, you didn't, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but like you say, it's creatives and whatnot, but he gave them this platform and they're all using it. So, yeah, if an ominousman or... um wants to get involved or a, a, um, a third party wants to get involved and say, well, actually, financially, this needs clearing up slightly, which they do get involved in. I'm sure. You know, yeah, yeah. it's been involved in sport where people have had to turn around and say, well, actually, no, we need a handle on this because money's gone crazy. You know, it, it might be the, the new thing and in music. to a point where that has to be. Yeah. Some, a, a third party comes in and goes, we need to control this because actually these people are getting really rich and these aren't and it's not financially uh, viable mm-hmm. anymore. Well, it's the I guess it's when it becomes a monopoly, isn't it? It's like yeah. the, the competition commission or whatever it is that get involved with like, the supermarkets and that sort of thing. Um, so in conclusion, 
I mean, I don't, you know, I hope that this certainly hasn't come across as a defense of, of what was said. It, it's not at all. I think what we try to do is to is to unpack it in a way that is perhaps more, I don't know, more considered than a, a tweet response, yeah. which I think is what happened here. I think, you know, this, this, uh, and I, try, you know, I searched this again when we were researching for the episode. I found these quotes in a article from uh, Complex, uh, the um, the media platform, and it was just a few of these quotes. And to be fair, they presented them fairly, but these quotes would have been the things that a lot of people who responded to this would have seen, and perhaps they hadn't heard the context in in which they were. Yeah said and I, I i completely understand why in the current climate people might react to these in a knee-jerk way but i i think there's 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 truth to what's being said here there's value for artists to take from this advice of you know the idea of a continuous dialogue and a continuous dialogue dialogue does not mean music dialogue means some form of conversation and conversation could literally take the point uh, take take the form of just content you know it just just text you know it could just be keeping the social media platforms up to date yeah like for instance what you've just described there is summed up in this tweet right while you the listener benefit and enjoy spotify it's part of what's killing a major income stream for artist creators the amount of arch- artists rich enough to withstand this loss are about 0.001% daniel x solution is for us to write and record more on our dime fuck him and again it, it, if if you've just read that tweet you go yeah bloody daniel x fuck him but when you look into it, that's it's not really what, and I don't want it to seem like we're just on Daniel X's side because there's not flaws to what he said and there's flaws to Spotify in the way that artists, mm-hmm. bands, musicians are compensated, yeah. and that is something that they'll have to sort out. It's not for you and I to sort out in one and a half hours. I do, I do but, think that something that needs to be considered though is, is you know, in that line of um, it's killing an industry. I'm not. I would like to see some some figures on whether it is killing the industry because if you take it back to 2005 when people just outright stopped buying music pretty much yeah. on mass uh, because they could get it for free, you know that was that's what destroyed the industry. Yeah, yeah. you know, free MP3 is what destroyed the industry. Spotify came along. And provided a revenue stream. Well, and it might not be the but, most perfect one. And there might be ones here that offer better rates for the artist. But I, I, I'm not convinced that it's destroyed an industry. Well, but again, if you just read a tweet, what a greedy little bitch. It's, <laughs> it's bad enough that he's worth billions based on stealing and giving away other musicians' music. But now he's suggesting suggesting we make more music for him to make more money i think that's misguided i think that's really misguided from a musician and i think spotify you can't you can't upload he isn't uploading a band's music and saying i'm making money foo fighters aren't making money off this foo fighters would have had to give permission to get the blue tick to have their music on there yeah, now or the, an, the label that they entered exactly, into an agreement with he's not uploaded anything himself he's just created the platform for them mm. to put it on mm. i don't i i think some people with everything need to think before they speak and i hopefully what we've done 
is dissect it and give a yeah and And i'm i'm really pleased with that i mean you know that's what i hope we would do with this is is just kind of unpack it all and 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 think a, a bit more critically about it i mean you know one thing that i kept trying to point out is that uh, this this idea that Spotify works really well for us. I mean, we we aren't an artist, and we gave our very brief experience of what Spotify means to us as you know art, retired artists, essentially. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that you know, ten years later, we we can't put our music there for free, unfortunately. Um, you know, perhaps to to present a more balanced view, we ought to have artists you know in this conversation as well. So so you know, anyone who's listening to this, we we aren't an authority on this. This is just our take on it but hopefully it's been uh it's been interesting i mean i what i've enjoyed it your, your last bullet point quickly was what could bands do and i think in terms of content which is really what i'm signaling uh taking from his comment because i think that's that's how we put positive spin on it because i think you've got to look for positive sometimes i think in terms of what could bands do you should be on instagram twitter have a facebook page i you need content out there in terms of Spotify. You, I don't think you should be just producing music because you think you should have music to be streamed, you know, check into it, re-release acoustic versions, like Liam said, you know, but just really be clever with it. You know, you can, you can mm. produce. I think, I think there's some, maybe to some point as well, that it's about the audience of that artist like there's, there's they'll probably know not, there's probably, what they get yeah there's probably know. not a one size fits all on this i mean yeah. you know a bunch of dance remixes for you know a, a majority of rock bands is a, no that's not the right you know that's not the right route to go acoustic yeah. versions might be right live versions might be the right way to do it so i don't yeah i don't think it's a one size fits all but uh you're right they need to be on all these platforms and unfortunately um that is the the state of play as it is right now if you want to make uh, a, a commercial success of being an artist. You could still make music in your own time, in your own bedroom, or pay to you know rent a studio or whatever. But if you want to do it as a career, if you want to do it in, in a way that makes a return on your investment or whatever... Unfortunately, that is just the, it's the. You have to cover all bases, don't you? Because it's not exist in the model that BBC introducing can't find everyone. No, you know, and they've been a yeah, big yeah, champion is, uh, of new music yeah. over the years, and they've got the stage at a lot of festivals now. Mm-hmm. But they're not finding everyone unless you've got some sort of social media following. Yeah. It's just the way the world is now, and it, like it's changed how everything's happened whether that's whether people have enjoyed it and they've moved with the times i still like i've just admitted i don't know how to get the best out of youtube you know there's things I'm like gonna show you <laughs> well but there's a lot i don't know how to get the best out of you know i didn't i i don't know my ass from my elbow when it comes to my computer really which is why i never go on it you know i use my phone or the ipad when i get back on my mac i'm so useless with it and i'd admit that but what what I do know how to use is Spotify. And that's where all the music I, I take in is on, whether I care to admit it or not. But it's the one subscription I'm happy to pay. I'm, I, I literally, when I see the email come through from like Amazon Prime, Netflix, Disney, I go, well, how many films did I watch this month? Mm-hmm. But Spotify, I never question it. Never yeah. question it. Yeah. 
But, you know, and also get in touch with Liam and not me, Liam. If you're in a band and you've listened to this and you're interested or want to know more, I would message Liam. Liam, when Canada were a touring bands and releasing stuff you were you you know give you your dues you were so good with the content and i think there's way if you were doing it 10 15 years ago i think you probably and you were ahead of you know, I, I do honestly think we were slightly ahead of things a bit before our time which is probably why we're not together now but we got in an american fucking published music magazine which we used to hire like import in you know, we used to mm-hmm. ask someone to import alternative press in. Yeah. And I'm in America. I was on holiday in New York. I'm at the airport and I ring you and cost me God knows what to say. Did you know we're in um, alternative press? And you were like, well, we sent press kits to everyone. <laughs> like, I wonder if pre- another hour. Oh, are press kits still a thing? Yeah. I- <laughs> are demo tapes still a thing? Are people recording onto a demo tape? But they're not. They're sending a link to their Spotify. Yeah. Um, well, it's very kind of you to say that. I mean, it, it's certainly something that obviously does intersect with 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 uh, with my career and, and what I do. Um I, I'm obviously not involved. I'm uh, happy for you to make money off it if you want to freelance yourself <laughs> as someone. <laughs> this is where the podcast actually becomes a commercial vehicle. So, uh, any inquiries? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I, and I can write you a custom song. <laughs> I, I certainly am uh, no expert um, uh, of, of exactly how things move in the industry. Uh, but, yeah, genuinely, I mean, if you are an artist and you, you want me to point you in the right direction on things and tell you the sort of people you ought to be working with, uh, then, yeah, do get in touch. And on that note, I suppose I ought to say that if you do want to get in touch, you can find me at Liam Toms and uh, my website, liamtoms.com. Edward, where can people find you? At Run With Ed um, on Instagram or Twitter. Um, but yeah, you know, we're always open to discussions. If you disagree with anything we've said, I would love to to hear that. Not so I can argue about it, but we aren't experts. We This podcast is always just our own opinions and if our opinions differ to yours that's great because then it's a discussion yeah there's nothing more than the reason we started this was to have discussions about music Mm -hmm. so you know i'm happy to meet for a drink i'll come up to wherever (laughs) you do have to write an itunes review yeah but i will genuinely buy the first round if you've got something interesting to say on music because i find it so fascinating and this is just another topic that will be around for a while because I can't see Spotify going anywhere. No, and when we talked about doing this episode, I did think this this could actually form a uh, a template for um, like an annual episode of just looking at the state of of the industry and and, and music. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, I mean, the other thing I guess to note is that if you want to converse with us uh, collectively, then you can you can find the podcast at Two Track Mind Pod. Uh, don't forget, as we said at the top of the show, to join the mailing list, Two Track Mind UK, or the Facebook group, uh, which you can find by searching Two Track Mind. Uh, all of our other shows are available on a plethora of different uh, podcast platforms, um, including Spotify, who we've been talking about today, Acast, Apple, Amazon, and all the others. Um, most of which I've never heard of uh, but go ahead and find them on the platform that you enjoy Um, I think that's all for now Uh, we've certainly run for a long time and I hope that you've enjoyed it Uh, so we'll say goodbye thanks for listening bye bye